Good morning, everyone. My name is Paul, if we haven't met before. And it is a privilege for us to gather today, uh, as Pastor Matthew mentioned a few moments ago, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, a day where churches all over the world pause to remember how sacred human life is, that every person is created in the image of God. This is a thing that uh, is important to us at New Hope Church, not because of political party. This isn't red or blue. This is uh, about an image bearer imprint, not a partisan thing. This is uh, how God has shaped humanity. And so we pause today to be reminded of this. We're going to hear a little bit uh, in just a, a part of the passage that we're going to be looking at today is actually going to reference the fatherless uh, and the widow. Uh, but as we at New Hope Church, I, I love that we're a part of a community that values this today, that values the conversation last Sunday on Martin Luther King uh, Jr. weekend to honor his legacy where we value human life from womb to tomb. Um, we're going to step into the message here in just a moment. Let me pray for us as we do. God in heaven, as we've sung this morning, we thank you. We praise you. For you are good. Your goodness seen most fully through the cross. You rescuing us, extending grace to us. And that grace we see, God, in so many ways in our lives, in the moments and breaths that we share here, now, and in all that we have. As we open your word, Today, from Deuteronomy 26, I ask God that you'd help me and you'd help us listen, that we would not just be hearers, but we would then be doers that would respond to what your spirit says, what you reveal to us and about us. And may we live as people that would multiply your goodness and grace. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We're continuing a series this month called A Big Conversation, where we step through a chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 26, and this is in the midst of what Pastor Matthew has referred to as kind of Moses's farewell address, his farewell sermon, if you will, to the nation of Israel. They are standing on the precipice of entering into the promised land, and Moses, who himself will not enter, is addressing the next generation. And as he addresses them, he's imparting to them reminders of what God's call is for them, but also reminders of what God's faithfulness has been to them. And so he tells the story of, of what God has done, how he's rescued them, how he's redeemed them. Specifically, we saw a couple weeks ago how, how Moses pinpointed for the nation of Israel how, how they were, Deuteronomy 26 says, that they were captives in Egypt, that they were treated harshly. And then the turn in verse 7 was that, then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and then listen to this, and the Lord heard our voice. And the Lord saw our affliction in verse 8. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is their story. The rescue and redemption that God had provided them. And Moses reminds them that their future, that their lives are meant to be lived in response to that grace, to live in response to the amazing grace of God. 
Last weekend, Pastor Matthew pointed to something that uh, author Randy Alcorn described as the lightning bolt of God's goodness and grace, that when it strikes our lives, it has a massive ripple effect, that it changes everything. And we live in response to that lightning bolt in our lives. There are many things that we can live in response to. Many things that can impact us deeply and cause us to live in certain ways. On a human level, there are ambitions or desires that we may have. There are perceptions or opinions of others that we may be living in response to. There actually may be wounds of others or fears toward or because of others that we live in response to. Maybe pressures that we live in response to. Moses points this next generation to the truth that we ought to live in response primarily to God's goodness and grace. We remember what he has done and live in response to that. There's a story in Isaiah chapter 6. I love this story. Isaiah comes before the Lord God in a vision and he, he sees God Almighty. He's given a vision of the throne room. And Isaiah says, my eyes have seen the king. And in response to seeing that vision, he says, here am I. Send me. He encounters the lightning bolt the power of God's goodness and grace. And in response, he says, here's my life. Here's my life. Now, in Deuteronomy 26, we find two responses to God's amazing goodness and grace. Last week, Pastor Matthew talked about the first one, that is generosity. In response to God's amazing goodness to us, his grace to us, one of our responses is to live generously, to give of our first fruits, not just a portion, but representative of, of all that we have is invested in, in God's work. Generosity is a first response Moses calls for. And the second one we see today, that second response is rejoicing. If you haven't turned there already, I invite you to uh, open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 26. We're going to look primarily at just one verse today, verse 11. This verse comes, it's the closing verse in a paragraph that Pastor Matthew has called a, a creedal statement where Moses is declaring in, in, in an eloquent way the power of God, what he's done, how he's rescued and redeemed them. And their response to this amazing goodness and grace of God is to live lives of generosity. And then in verse 11, he says this. He says, verse 11, And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. One command in this verse, rejoice, rejoice. This is a consistent instruction in the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 12, uh, earlier in this farewell address from Moses, 
He says this in verse 7. He says that when you enter into the land, he says, you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice. You and your household, you shall rejoice in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Rejoice in all that you undertake. Rejoice is one of those Christian words. Right? There's a whole batch of vocabulary of words that are used almost, not exclusively, but primarily in the church. If you're newer to the church or newer to faith, there might be a list of these terms that you hear us use and you go, what are you talking about? Not in your vernacular, your everyday vocabulary. Well, rejoice is, in the Old Testament, is actually a core part of the vernacular about the language that God's people used. The Hebrew word here for rejoice, sema, is found 155 times in the Old Testament. And it, this is important, it is not just about having joy. It is about expressing it. Rejoicing is an expression of extreme happiness, a, a feeling that is so strong that it wells up in you that you must let it out. It flows from within. It, it flows from the heart, and, and that heart finds expression in an outward, visible, joyful expression, a celebration. I think of my kids at Christmas. Several weeks ago, Christmas morning, and we had church. Remember, it was Christmas Day was on a Sunday, so we were at Christmas Eve in the afternoon. Sunday morning, we're doing presents, just our family of five, before we came back to church Sunday morning. And I watched all three of my kids. Now, I know they're young, seven, five, and three. Erupt in joy when they opened presents. My three-year-old son, Isaiah, opens a box, a scooper, daddy, and he's running laps around the living room. This is pure joy, unfettered. Last week, uh, a Sunday afternoon, we went sledding with some friends of ours, and I, I went with our three-year-old, Isaiah, pretty much the whole time. I thought I'd take him the first time just to get him comfortable. He sat on my lap on the tube, and we went, they, they made, I mean, this is not just like a little baby hill. This is legit. Our friends made three runs in their backyard with like launching pads and kind of sides. And the one that we went down that Isaiah loved the most is the one that he called uh, the woohoo. So we would go down the hill, and we'd be walking back. I'm like, okay, Isaiah, which, which one do you want to go on? Daddy, do the woohoo again. He says this because there is a, a wave and then a jump in the middle of it, and I, without realizing it, when I hit the jump, I go, woohoo! And so he called it the woohoo. And we spent almost an hour and a half doing the woohoo over and over and over, just pure expressions of, of joy. This is what Moses says our response is to God's goodness in our lives. An expression, an outward expression of joy when we realize the goodness that we have. I want to break this down into just three simple steps for us today. And then I'm going to close by giving you kind of an asterisk to rejoicing, okay? It's, you might think of it like a secret sauce or a cheat code for rejoicing. 
That's going to be at the end. But I want to break this down into into three simple steps of rejoicing. So the first step, now these are very simple, friends. The first step is this. Recognize what you have been given. Recognize what you have been given. Moses says, and you shall rejoice in all the good. Rejoice in all the good. So take the time to notice it. Take the time to notice the goodness that you've received, that you've been given. This is simple, but it is incredibly powerful. The University of California, Berkeley has a, a research center called the Greater Good Science Center. And one of the things that they specialize in is studying the power of gratitude. There are many studies that they've done. There are a couple that were particularly noteworthy to me. So in one, they found that people who wrote down three things that had gone well in their day, this is a group of people measured against the control group, people that wrote down three things that had gone well in their day and identified the causes of those good things, they were found to be significantly happier, less depressed, and even healthier for a duration of up to six months after the study ended. Gratitude changes us. I've seen this in my own life. Probably five or six years ago for Christmas, my wife gave everyone in our family these, you know, third of a letter sheet cards called the best of my days and it was one for each month it was just best of my day and a date for each of those days and since then I've spent every year doing this where I write down before I go to bed every night one thing that I'm thankful for and I've witnessed personally how much my perspective changes when I take the time to simply pause And notice the goodness that I've been giving. You might say, but Pastor Paul, my life is really hard right now. I hear you. Maybe you have more tears than confetti right now. Fast forward about 775 years from when Moses shared this to the Israelites just on the precipice of entering into the promised land. But 775 years later, God's people will have lived in and possessed the promised land and then they're about to be kicked out because of their disobedience and their sin. God speaks to, raises up a prophet named Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is told of the looming judgment and destruction that will come upon God's people. Habakkuk is facing incredible hardship. He is about to witness his people, his nation being wiped out by the Babylonians, being either killed or hauled off into captivity. And this is the message that Habakkuk brings The last two verses of his prophecy, the closing declaration of his prophecy, read this way. 
Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Even with the certainty of destruction staring him in the face, Habakkuk still leaned on God for his strength. He still declared his reliance on him. And get this, he still rejoiced. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Fast forward several centuries after that. Another about 500 years forward into the future, we find the Apostle Paul in chains, in prison. And he writes in Philippians 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, always. And to punctuate it, he says, and again I say, rejoice. Habakkuk, the Apostle Paul, declaring this call to rejoice. Not in a season of confetti, but in a season of hardship and difficulty and trial. In James chapter 1 verse 2, the very beginning of this letter, James says, count it all joy. Count what all joy? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Rejoice in the trials. Why? Why? He goes on, he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In the trial, in the furnace, God is working. He's doing something. So count it joy. So how do we rejoice? First, we recognize what we've been given. All the good and yes, even the trials. We recognize what we've been given. Secondly, we remember who it is from. Listen again. Moses says, And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you. Rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you. It comes from the Lord. There's a a distinct difference between gratitude to oneself and gratitude to one's creator. Gratitude to oneself is actually conceitedness, right? That's saying, look at all the good I have. Man, I'm awesome. Look at all the good I have. I've done a great job by earning this. That's conceitedness. Worship is saying, look at all the good that God has given me. What a gift from him. Remembering who it's from. In the same chapter of James, James 1, verse 17, James continues and reminds us, he says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Remember where it comes from. 
The psalmist famously declares in Psalm 118, verse 24, perhaps you're familiar with this psalm. He says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad at it. This day, this moment, God has made it. He's created it. And thereby, there are purposes that are sacred that God wants to accomplish. Let us rejoice in all the good and even in the trials because in this day, it's from the Lord's hand given to us. So recognize what you've been given, all the good and even the trials and remember who it's from. And once you've done that, here it is, friends, number three, rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. Let it out. Give it language. Give it expression. Rejoicing isn't a state of mind. It's an expression. It's not just thinking about it and feeling it. It's expressing it. In Luke chapter 17, The historian Luke tells a story, he records of Jesus traveling from Samaria to Galilee. And along the way, as he heads toward Jerusalem, Jesus enters a village and he's encountered by ten lepers. And these ten lepers stood at a distance as they were required to do and They cried out to Jesus. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Pleading with the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we're told, saw them. And he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Luke records that as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. Ten lepers, all of them healed by the Lord Jesus. Verse 15 of Luke 17 says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Ten lepers healed, and but only one paused and turned back to praise. Not only are we called to recognize what we have been given and remember where it's from, but then we must take the deliberate steps in worship to turn back to praise. Every blessing, rejoice in it. Now, look back to Deuteronomy 26, verse 11. I want you to notice there's an asterisk here. 
Moses says, and you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you. And then he continues, he says, and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Let me read it again. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. The good that we're called to recognize and rejoice in is what God has given not just to us, but to, he says, to your home, your household, to the Levite, to the sojourner. There's a whole community of the leadership of the faith, the sojourner, those who are outsiders, who are in need, who are displaced. We're to rejoice in all the good that God has done for them as well. So there's two important layers to this. The first is being in, in enough proximity that you know what their needs are so that you can rejoice as God meets those needs. But the second layer, catch this, this is the secret sauce of rejoicing. The second layer is this, how does God's goodness get to the Levite and the sojourner? Look at the next two verses. The next two verses, verse 12. Moses says, when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, here it is, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Did you catch that? God meets their needs through the conduits of his people. The way that God's goodness reaches the Levite and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow is through his people living not just as recipients of God's goodness, but living as, as, as conduits. A Levite who owned no land, and had no inheritance. They relied on the offerings for the very livelihoods and possessions. The sojourner who was displaced, who had no home. The fatherless who had no family. The widow whose family and social structure was no longer. This is the group of people that God's goodness and grace reaches through his people. Rejoicing is multiplied when we become conduits, not just recipients. Not just receiving the goodness from God, but realizing that it, it comes to us and is intended to flow from us, flow through us as conduits. Rejoicing has a ripple effect when we're not just recipients, but when we become multipliers. This is how God's blessings and his goodness are intended to be treated. They're intended to flow through us. 
Last weekend, Brother Shane Price talked about four types of people. You remember the adders, subtractors, dividers, and multipliers. Multipliers. You and I can be multipliers of rejoicing. So that when we rejoice in all the good that God has given, the good that God has given is not just limited to our own lives. It extends to our household, extends to the Levites and the sojourner and the fatherless and and the widow. We become conduits of the goodness and grace of God and multiply rejoicing into all those groups of people. Today, as you look around you, Sanctity of Human Life Sundays, you consider the unborn, the fatherless, the widow. As you consider the sojourner who is among you. Among those group of people, is rejoicing being multiplied because of your generosity? Is rejoicing being multiplied because of you being a conduit through which God's goodness and grace can flow? God provides for us. He supplies us so that we can be a blessing to others. This is a remarkable thing. His vision is not just to give us what we need But when he supplies us, he does so that that provision can be multiplied into the lives of others as we live generously. Here's how I want to close this morning. I I want to suggest to you four enemies of rejoicing. So if you were to just kind of step back from this conversation for a moment and think about your life and your posture, your heart attitude, your daily rhythms. And if your life isn't marked by rejoicing, perhaps one or more of these factors is sabotaging your rejoicing. So briefly, four enemies of rejoicing. The first one is entitlement. Entitlement. That thinking is, I deserve this. The goodness that I have, I deserve it. Entitlement. The second one, complacency. That's, I'm used to this. The goodness that I have, I've become accustomed to it so much so that I don't even notice it. A third enemy of rejoicing, discontent. That's saying, I I want more. I have it, I'm used to it, but it's not enough. I want more. A fourth enemy of rejoicing, individualism. That's saying that it's only for me. All of these stand in opposition to a heart of gratitude and generosity one that would recognize the goodness from God, would turn it back to worship of God, and would extend what it is that you've been given into the lives of others.
So what is it that God has given you? For all of us, it begins with the very breath in our lungs. The moment that we have of life, one that we so readily take for granted, but can so quickly realize in a moment of sickness or a health crisis or the loss of a loved one, we then realize how fragile life is. What has God given you? Don't overlook those blessings and his goodness. And then how might you be a conduit with those blessings, not just a recipient? I'm going to invite the team to come. They're going to lead us in a a final song, and I want to invite you to let the words of this song give expression to your heart that we might rejoice in all the good that God has given. God in heaven, we thank you. You are the fount of all blessings, the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. We confess that God, too often we overlook those gifts, we take them for granted, we think we deserve them, we keep them for ourselves, and yet today as we hear your word, we're reminded of the treasure that they are. Your goodness and your grace to us, I pray in these moments that you would stir in us hearts of gratitude and joy, and may our hearts find an expression of rejoicing for all you've given us, And all that you've done as you flow that goodness through us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.